This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Joyce. really appreciate that. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles open already, get to John chapter 10. As you're turning there, I'll just say our, our, our worship minister, Luke, uh, asked for a Sunday off. He's been trudging through the trenches um, in ministry and, and, and asked for a Sunday off, and so he is taking that today. So privileged to have Jeff Walter and the ladies lead worship. Thank you guys for that time. John chapter 10 is where I'd love for you to be. I'm going to start with a story, and it's a story that I've already told you, but here's the thing. I've only got one life to pull stories from. I can't pull stories from any other life because I don't have another life. Uh, so I'm going to start with this story, and you've probably heard it a few times, and just find some connection there. So this is a story about, uh, my, again, my wife and I struggled with uh, pregnancy for the first uh, three years, two years of our marriage, um, or three years. And uh, we, our, our first three pregnancies ended in miscarriage, and, and so this is about the first one. Um, we were uh, s- uh, several weeks in, and we were kind of dreaming about names uh, for a boy and a girl, and I kind of, when we were praying, I kept referring into the female, and I don't know why my wife's like, what are you trying to do, Scott? Is it a girl? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but we really fell in love with the name Raylan K. Um, the name Raylan means little lamb uh, in, in Hebrew in a way. But that was something that my wife and I had kept secret. We didn't tell anybody about it. Um, we were just kind of talking to ourselves about it. Um, but the night that we got the news that uh, we had miscarried, uh, we, were, we were in our living room uh, in our Lynchburg home, and uh, we were just crying. Um, I had my guitar. We were singing some songs, and we were praying, uh, really weeping. Um, and while we were in the living room, the front door pain, like we were double doors, the front door opened and then closed with no lock, no nothing. And uh, so we went out and I found this uh, bag that had been hung on the door. And uh, it turns out the bag was from one of Caitlin's really good friends uh, from work. Uh, didn't know anything about what we were dreaming about this little baby, uh, possibly a girl thing, and uh, the name that we had picked out. Uh, had no clue about that, but uh, the bag had, the little gift bag had a card in it and the card um, had written in it uh, that God is holding your little lamb now. And uh, then we, we opened up the bag further. I meant to bring it this morning, but I forgot. It sleeps with us every night. It's a little beanie baby lamb. Um, yeah, we snuggle with it. So in, in one of the worst experiences that a mother can go through, my wife and I got to experience one of the most intimate, one of the most very real and precious moments of a good shepherd caring for his sheep, especially when they're weeping. Jesus is caring. And that's what this text is all about today. Our Savior Jesus isn't just a Savior, he's a shepherd. He is a good shepherd. This is what the text is all about. We started off chapter 10 with this reality of, of shep- shepherding, of sheep farming in the old days back then, and we uh, know that Jesus started out with this illustration, and then from it takes some spiritual truths out of it, and, and, and they are pointing to himself. And so last week, we, we saw Jesus said that, I am the gate. I am the gate. 
And the gate was what authorized other shepherds to come in and access the leadership of the sheep. And, and the gate was also the access point for the sheep to come in and out and find pasture, to find abundant, full life. But this week, the illustration gets even further expanded. Jesus points to something else in the verses 1 through 5 and says, I am the good shepherd. Can you say that with me? So, like, it's really important that we have this in view. Because we, we need to have a Jesus that is not just a gate, but is also a shepherd. And this is vital, because I hear so many pastors, so many evangelists, so many invitations, so many altar calls, so many uh, invitations into the gospel, proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is just a gate, that he's only just an access point, a way for you to get out of hell and into the sheepfold of heaven. So, so, so that's a, there's a way that we can preach a gospel that that's all Jesus came to be. That's all Jesus came to do. Open up the gates of heaven from hell. And, and he died for our sins. And he, he, he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could get out of hell and into heaven. He's our access. He's our gate. Don't get me wrong. That is all true, all to the glory of God. Amen? But that's not all the gospel is. If I preach just that, that gospel is lacking. Because Jesus came not to just be a gate to access heaven, but he came to shepherd the flock of heaven. In other words, the Son came sent by the Father to bring us into the relationship with God. The Godhead, the triune Godhead. He wants us to have life with him. He wants to be involved in every little step of our day, every little detail of it. He wants to lead us and to guide us. It's the way things were made to be in the garden in the first place. So as we think about the gospel in this community, and as we talk about it to people, we need a Jesus that is both gate and shepherd. We need to preach a Jesus that is both the access point to heaven, there's no other way but him, and we need him to be our shepherd to lead us home. And that's the gospel that we need to preach. We need to preach a gospel that invites people into relationship with God. Because Jesus really is not just the gate, but he's also the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd and and at this point, when you start to enter into the, uh, the conversation about Jesus as a shepherd and his people as the sheep, a lot of pastors, I've said this before, a lot of pastors really like to talk about how stubborn sheep are. They, they, I don't know if they're trying to take jabs at their flock or something, but they love to start talking about how, how ridiculously stubborn sheep are. And, 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 and again, it's not that they're wrong when they do that, but this passage isn't talking about the stubbornness of the sheep. It's talking about how shocking the shepherd is. And so that's what we're going to focus in on. That's where we're going to stay in the text. Now, when you, when you think of a shepherd, what do you typically picture? There's, you don't have to say anything. Just kind of develop something in mind. What, what images come to mind when you think of a shepherd? You might, I don't know, picture, picture like a really just oh, a sentimental person, right? Maybe, maybe someone who's maybe a bit more effeminate, somebody who, who's a gentle and quiet kind of person who never raises their voice, just kind of 
talks quietly. And, 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 and when you see them, when you look down from their face, they're just carrying a bunch of cuddly little lambs. And that's what you picture when you think of a shepherd, right? Well, I would just put before you that being a shepherd wasn't just simply that. Being a shepherd was tiring. Being a shepherd was often dangerous. Think about it. What other famous Bible character was a shepherd? David, right? Let's just take a gander at what it looked like for him to be a shepherd. You know what shepherding was like for him? This is what he says. Remember, he goes to his brothers, they're in the army, and the the army's facing off against the Philistines, and there's a Goliath down there, and he's making threats, and David comes, and he starts talking to Saul, and King Saul, trying to convince him that David can go take care of it. And look at what he says. He's volunteering to go kill Goliath. And David says this, no, I'm qualified. Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. (laughs) What? Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. Yes, a good shepherd knows how to be gentle. He knows how to cuddle. He knows how to tend to wounds. He knows how to speak gently. But a good shepherd's also knows how to hunt down bears, slay lions, and stomp on snakes' heads. So when we think of a good shepherd, good isn't passive. Good isn't like just gentle. Good means noble. It means the worthy shepherd. It means the noble shepherd. He's got nobility in his blood. This is Jesus, our good shepherd. This is who he's claiming to be. And as I read through this, as I was reading through all of this text for today, I kind of found, uh, as I was ministered to by it, as I was encouraged by it, I found really four kind of actions that the good shepherd takes on behalf of his flock that point to why he's such a noble good shepherd. Four actions. And there might be a bonus one if you want to hang around long enough. We're not going to be going linearly through this text. We're not going from verse to end. We're going to kind of carry themes throughout of it, okay? So the first action that I see this shepherd taking on behalf of his sheep is this, that the good shepherd cares for his sheep. Can you say that? One, two, three. So this obviously is standing in contrast to some of what Israel has already experienced from their own shepherds. Remember, we talked about it last week. Look at verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12 and 13. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. So, so here, hired hands, right? Those who are there because of the pay to care for the sheep. They're like the gatekeeper who gets commissioned from the families who hire him. They don't own the sheep. And because they don't own the sheep, when danger comes, they run to protect themselves and they leave the flock totally exposed to the danger that is surely coming. 
And Jesus says why they run in verse 13, at the very end. Verse 13, why do they run? They run because they're hired hands and they don't care about the sheep. They don't care. They, they don't have any concerns, really. They're, 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 there's no vested interest in the sheep, in their good, in their surviving. No, no, no. It's, it's, I just don't care. And when it comes to leadership, that's pretty much the definition of neglect, is it not? This is a picture of neglecting. But if you can remember last week, Jesus was calling out the thieves and the robbers who steal, kill, and destroy, which isn't just simply referring to Satan. It's referring to the religious leaders of Israel's past and present who were using the sheep for their own gain. And you remember I, I mentioned Ezekiel 34, which God calls out the Old Testament shepherds, shepherds who were getting rebuked by God because they were abusing sheep, they were neglecting sheep, they were killing sheep, eating the meat and wearing the wool. Obviously, we're talking about people here, the, the imagery there. For these old shepherds, the sheep entrusted to them were a means to their own ends. And so that is the very definition of abuse, is it not? So here we have two stark pictures in leadership of neglect and abuse. And as I get to know this precious flock more and more and more, and as I hear your stories, it is both terrifyingly shocking, devastatingly heartbreaking, and sometimes it just makes me so angry to hear of so many of you who have in your story of somewhere along the way Stories of abuse where you've been victim. Stories of neglect where people who were supposed to care for you forgot about you and didn't care for you. Some of you have husbands who abused you. Mothers who neglected you. Fathers who beat you or used your daughters, their daughters some of you have stories. We're doing new members interviews now, and, and I, am, uh, I am just heartbroken to hear of how many, how many sheep have been plundered by church leaders. Abuse and neglect. Most of you have stories where you, along the way, have experienced something like that. And by God's grace, you're here, aren't you? That's why God never said to put our hope in any man. Psalm 121, Austin and I were earlier this week praying together and we were praying through some psalms and the psalm he chose was Psalm 121 and it starts out, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? Does it say, my help comes from Scott Brud, my pastor? Does it say, no, my help comes from my husband or my mother? No, it says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Guys, when God was rebuking the shepherds in Ezekiel 34, he didn't tell the sheep 
to put their hope in a day when the shepherds would repent and get better. He did not tell them to do that. No, this is what he told them. He told them to hope in a coming shepherd. Look at what it says. I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Here's the ironic part about this. If you know where the story of Ezekiel falls in the narrative of Scripture, this is years after King David died. He's not talking about King David, son of Jesse. He's talking about King Jesus, son of Joseph. He's talking about the coming Messiah who would come to shepherd. So God is telling his people, don't don't ultimately put your hope and trust in shepherds of your day. Put your hope in that coming shepherd, this, this one who will come. Why? Oh, because this one will actually care about you truly. He'll care deeply. He won't abandon the sheep when the wolf comes. He won't abusively plunder the sheep with his own selfish purposes. He won't neglect them. Why? Well, the very reason the hired hand decided to run is the opposite for why this good shepherd stays. It's because he owns them. Because they're his. You are his. You belong to him. You've been entrusted to his care by his father. So you put your hope in Jesus, who's the good shepherd. And this is humbling for me as a pastor, as your pastor. Guys, I, oh man, I absolutely want to be everything that God has designed me to be in your life. I aim for excellence. I will make sacrifices for that. But spend five minutes with me and you'll know I'm just as stubborn as sheep are. I'm a stubborn sheep too. Guys, I could tell you all the different ways just today I've already messed up. And so I know that I can't be everything that that Jesus is supposed to be for you. And I hope you know that too. Only he can ultimately be your good shepherd. Trust me, I'm not trying to find a way out of this. I'm pursuing excellence, but put all your hope into him. The good shepherd, because only he can truly carry the burden of that. Put your hope in him. Cast your cares and all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Secondly, I see this action. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Can you say that with me? The good shepherd knows his sheep. This is a major theme. It appears five times in the text. Look at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. Boom, there it is. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jump down to verse 27. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Guys, this isn't just like this passive, distant, factual knowing of the sheep. Right? It's not like about how you know Brad Pitt, right? How many of you know Brad Pitt? Watch this be like the one Sunday somebody's like, yeah, I actually know him. I went to college with him. No, 
No, I didn't, fig- I didn't figure it. But you, you know who he is, right? Oh, you absolutely, maybe some of you, that's your celebrity crush. Some of you women. Maybe, maybe you can state some facts about him, right? Maybe you can quote some of his lines from his face. You can say every movie that he's in. But you'd have to eventually admit you don't actually know him. This knowing is the intimate, the involved. It's the I know absolutely everything about you sort of knowledge. You know why I know that? Well, look at verse 3. I'm asking you to go to a text that we looked at last week. Remember what he, what he does, this shepherd? He calls his own sheep by what? Name. And he leads them out. I'm not going to say uh, if the current president gave you a call. Pick your favorite president, because I don't want to be controversial this morning. Pick your favorite president of the United States, dead or alive. I mean, dead would be even crazier. Imagine if they called you up and they said, Hey, so-and-so, how you doing today? You're like, who is this? Oh, I'm president, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what? You know my name? You know me? Wouldn't that be astounding? And that's just like having an ant call you compared to the creator of the universe knowing your name and calling you by it. He knows your name, but he doesn't just know your name. He knows you. So well. How well does he know us? Well, this part, it's going it's, it's to shock you. You ready? He compares how well we know him and he knows us to another relationship that he has. Look at verse 15. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him just as the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. <laughs> right? Wow. Jesus knows us, and we know him, just as the Father, who is God, knows the Son, who is God. And, I mean, just go into the whole conversation about the fact that they're a triune in nature. They're one God, one existence, three persons. Like, how do you you even work at that? Well, think about God's nature. He is omniscient, so he is all-knowing. And he's also infinite. In other words, he had no beginning, and he has no end. And that's the relationship he compares it to? I loved what this commentary said. I was reading an ESV commentary. This is what it, the way it described it. Look at this. No shared history goes further back or contains more shared joy and grief than that between the eternal son and his eternal father. No emotions could be more sincerely felt or expressed than what the almighty father and son feel for each other and communicate to each other. This is a relationship whose depths are unsearched by the most sublime expressions of art, music, or poetry. And this same depth of intimacy, Jesus declares, may be found in the relationship Jesus shares with his sheep, his people. This is intimate. This should amaze us. This is the creator of absolutely everything knowing you. This is the kind of relationship he wants to have with you, where you know him and he knows you, just like he knows his father and his father knows him. Now, maybe uh, uh, 
Maybe you're in a season like I, I've, I've been in before. Maybe you're in a, in a season where the, the best that you can ever feel about yourself is just disdain. Like I've had those seasons. They were long years of discouragement. Long years of what I would say uh, um, I just absolutely annoyed with myself. At, at some seasons, I, I hated myself. Maybe you're in one of those seasons where you're annoyed with who you are. Maybe you hate who you are. Uh, and, and that might be all sorts of different reasons. Maybe self-insecurities. Maybe, maybe it, it was somewhere where I was, where, where I was doing the things I didn't want to do, and the things that I wanted to do, I wasn't doing. And so you can hear this. You can hear that Jesus wants to have a kind of relationship with you, and in that, he's going to know everything about you more than you'll ever know about yourself. And you can say, well, I know what he says. I know it says this. And, and I, know, I, I know me well enough to know that, like, if I hate you, why would he want me? Why would he want to know me? I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. I, I don't like me. I despise me. How on earth could this holy God even care about me, let alone want to know me this way? Well, there's only one true answer, one simple fact. I mentioned it already. It's because you belong to him. It's because you're his, which is his grace. Because he's not weighing out your performance when he thinks about you. Your performance was nailed to the cross with Christ. When he thinks about you, he sees the perfection of his son. Because you're his. So if we are in Christ, if we've, if we've hidden ourselves in Christ, we belong to the Lord. We are one of his sheep and he never forsakes his own. Look at Isaiah 43, one of my favorite words from this book. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are what? Mine. You're mine. He made us so he knows us. And he's God and we're not. So I would just kind of put before you, how about you start believing that it's okay for you to be known? How about you start believing that it's okay for people to actually start intimately knowing the details of your life because God's already there. And if a holy God, perfect in all his ways, acts in grace towards you and we're his people, I pray that we would act in grace too. God's already intimately involved and intimately aware of all of you. And he graciously loves you despite you. So the good shepherd first cares for his sheep. Here the good shepherd knows his sheep. Then we get to this third action. The good shepherd keeps his sheep. Can you say that? The good shepherd keeps his sheep. Thank you. So 
I, I, I didn't really go through the narrative as much, but there's this point later on in the text. We get to verse 22, and there's, like, verse 19, there's some division. He, he's got a demon. He's crazy. Oh, no, how could a demon talk like this? He can't heal the blind man. And then you get to verse 22, and we fast forward in the year. We get to a festival of dedication, which is actually Hanukkah. I don't have time to talk about that, but you can read up on the Maccabean revolt and what Hanukkah, all that history. You can go find that out on your own. But the Jews at this festival, Jesus is walking through Solomon's colonnade in the temple, and the Jews come and surround him, and they say, stop keeping us in suspense, man. If you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Tell us forthright. And, and what's Jesus' response? He says, well, I did tell you, and you didn't believe. He didn't come out plainly and say, I am the Messiah, but we keep seeing again and again and again that he is declaring himself to be the Messiah. But he says, you didn't believe because you aren't my sheep. My sheep know me. They know my voice and they follow me when I call. Look at verse 28. I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And guess what? I and the father are one. Jesus keeps his sheep with such a strong security that they never perish. They never get lost unto perishing. And we sing about that, right? No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Amen? Not the marauding wolf, not the thieves or the robbers, not anyone can snatch any sheep out of Jesus' and the Father's hand. Think about it. Just putting this out there, and I realize I'm dancing on a fine line something here. If Jesus could actually allow for one of his sheep to be lost unto perishing, for one of his sheep to be taken out of his hand, then the only conclusion that you could actually rightly come to is that Jesus failed his assignment from his father, and he's not in perfect obedience. Uh oh. But Jesus never fails. His obedience was perfect. He's the noble shepherd. He never loses one of his fold. Now, if if I was uh, in that statement dancing, now I'm going to be stomping. Just real quick, if you got toes, pull them back. If you read this text and you walk away thinking, yeah, but the sheep still have the free will to jump out of the hand of the shepherd if they want to. If, if that's what you come away from this text with, uh, you're reading into the text your own understanding. Because none of the New Testament believers thought that Jesus could fail at this. I don't know why we do. We can't read into the text our own preconceived understanding. And, and by the way, even if a sheep were to exert its free will and jump out of the hand of the shepherd and go off and do its own thing, wouldn't the shepherd go after it? Right? Guys, that's exactly the whole point of this. We all know how quickly we are able to wander off of God's ways, do we not? Why do we sing, oh, Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. But if we're Jesus' sheep, 
He won't let us be lost unto perishing. He'll go after us. He'll find us. He'll pick us up out of the rut. And if we keep wandering off, you know, sometimes shepherds break the legs of their sheep and carry them for the next several months to train the sheep to stay near the shepherd. So he might break your legs, right? He might, he might keep so that you learn how to stay near him, but he'll carry us back and he'll call his friends together and his family and he'll celebrate that we've got one that's come back home. So I, again, I'm not trying to debate the notion of free will versus whatever, but, but this text isn't trying to exalt the free will of the sheep to choose their shepherd. It's exalting the gracious security of the good shepherd who keeps his sheep and won't let a single one of them perish because he is the noble, good shepherd. Now, just, just to be fair and step on the other half of you toes, right? If you leave this text thinking, oh, if that's what that means, I can do whatever I want. Oh, all sorts of stuff in life are so much fun. Let me go do all these things that I've always wanted to do. Sheep, follow the shepherd. This isn't a license for anything. They don't do their own thing. Jesus' sheep don't find them them the desire to do whatever they want, they find with them the desire to stay close to the shepherd. Anyways, everybody's toes stepped on. Are you good? Okay. With all of this in view, how much this good shepherd cares, how much this good shepherd knows, and how much this good shepherd keeps his sheep, there's still one more action that demonstrates the supremacy of Jesus as our good shepherd. And it's this it's the very first point that he actually makes when he mentions that he is the good shepherd. And it's the theme carried throughout the whole thing and shows just how much he actually cares, how much he knows, how much he keeps. He mentions it five times. We're going to go through all of them. Verse 11 through 12. Start there. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. Verse 14. Skip there. Verse 14. I, again, am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jump to verse 17. And 18, verse 17, this is why the Father loves me. Or some of your translations might, might maybe better say, because the Father loves me, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have, I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So what does the good shepherd do for the sheep? He lays down his life. In other words, he dies for the sheep. He dies for the sheep. The hired hands of Israel, they abandoned the sheep. The, the Israel's shepherds of old, they abused and killed the sheep. No, this good shepherd lays down his own life for the sheep. Now, again, I want to pause here. I want to pause here and uh, just kind of point something out. For us... 2,000 years later, that statement is, well, duh, we know that's the gospel. Jesus came and laid down his life for us. That's what, it, that's what he did. So when we, when we read through this, we're like, yeah, well, yeah, 
duh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We know Jesus laid down his life for us in our place. It's become normal for us and should. Yeah, great. But in the context of a shepherd with his sheep, it makes absolutely no sense for a shepherd to die on behalf of the sheep. It makes no sense at all. It's, it's a stupid thing to do. Uh, if you're looking at a sheep with a shepherd, right? Like, t- to say, uh, all right, so let's say I've got a flock and say there's a bear coming wanting lunch and has got something view- in my flock viewing it, right? And, and, I, and I go, oh, oh don't, don't eat them, just eat me. You know how, how idiotic that is? How, how, how foolish that would be for a shepherd to do that for their sheep? Now, maybe, maybe if the shepherd would, would, would try to actually fight the bear, you know, he's got the, the, the club and the, the staff and he's beating the bear, and, and maybe he accidentally loses that, right? And he gets killed. Sure, that, that has happened before. But they wouldn't intentionally give up their life for the sheep, for one or maybe three. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. It would leave the flock totally exposed. And and I'm just going to be honest. I mean, just to sound callous, sheep can be replaced a lot more easily than a shepherd. Just go to the market and get two more. No, no, no. But, But Jesus is saying here that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what I was calling foolish now becomes scandalous. Now it becomes beautiful. This is wild. This is countercultural. The shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. Now you would have some people who would say, well, in doing that, he was just giving an example of, of his love for the sheep. So like just picturing uh, this example of love in his death. Uh, the sheep are up on a cliffside and the shepherd all of a sudden just starts darting towards the cliff. He runs off in this ridiculous fashion. He says, this is how much I love you and falls to his death. And the sheep just go. No, here the sheep are in real mortal danger. There's something coming after them. There's a wolf on the hunt. And this, this wolf, we, some could say, you might say, oh, this, is, this wolf is the, the bad times in life, all the hardships that I experienced. No, 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 no. The wolf is the chief enemy of the sheep. And our chief enemy is sin and death. And Jesus, as the wolf is eyeing the sheep, he stands in the gap. He comes between the wolf and the sheep and he lets the wolf take him. He lets sin and death take him instead of his sheep. Oh, Isaiah 53, you remember? We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished the suffering servant, the shepherd, for the iniquity of us all. 
He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3. Jesus stands in the gap and lets the wolf come and take his own life and satisfies the hunger of the wolf of sin and death with his own life. And it was no accident. It wasn't a oops. No one took his life truly from him. It was his intention. He chose to lay it down. Verse 18 says he had the right to lay it down. But did he stay down? Mm-mm. Did the wolf win? No. No, Jesus had the right to lay it down of his own will, and he had the right to take up his own life again. He laid it down so that he could take it up again. So here's the bonus. You hung out long enough. The good shepherd not only dies, but he rises for the sheep. Can you say that with me? The good shepherd rises for the sheep. So when the wolf, sin and death, stands over the shepherd's lifeless body, thinking he's got his meal, the shepherd's heart begins to beat again, and his hand shoots up, grabs the neck of the wolf, and he begins to punch all the teeth out of the wolf. He rips the claws out of the paws of the wolf. So the wolf, sin and death, has no more way to actually harm Jesus' sheep. It can't touch him anymore. Sin has lost all of its power. Death has lost its sting. Now, sure, the wolf can snarl. Sin and death can growl. They can sound ominous. They can sound vicious. They can seem threatening. They can, they can raise the hairs on the back of its shoulders, but it's lost its bite. It cannot harm the sheep anymore because the good shepherd died and rose for the sheep. Brothers and sisters, this is our good shepherd. This is our Jesus who cares for his sheep, who knows his sheep, who keeps his sheep, who dies for his sheep, who rises for his sheep. And you may be in here today, and you may, may be like the people in this story where you're just absolutely divided over him. You might think he's crazy. You might think, well, he's pretty persuasive. But if you're not sure where you are today with this, can't you see the kind of relationship that the good shepherd wants to have with you? that the good shepherd is inviting us all into? Like, like this is what God wants to be in your life. He doesn't just want to be this distant, ominous kind of moral calculator for your life where all of his knowledge is just head knowledge and, and, and that's the space that too many Christians live in. No, he wants to have a real experiential relationship with you. In all of your comings, and all of your goings, when you rise from your bed, when you lay your head down to rest, when you are at your worst, when you despise who you are, when you're lost, when you're alone, no, he cares. He's here. He knows. He keeps you because he died for you and he rose for you. 
can't you see the shocking love of Jesus for you? The only way that I think is appropriate for us to respond to this text is for each of us to recognize and be convinced of and start walking in the depth of the relationship that the good shepherd wants to have with you. He wants your week. He wants to walk with you this week. He wants to be a countenance with you. He wants to inform your heart and, 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 and think through things with you. He wants to hear from you. This is your shepherd. But too many of us live life like we're shepherdless. Don't make that mistake. Trust me, when you live that way, you end up going off. The only response we can have is to agree that this is the kind of relationship that the gospel of Jesus purchased for us. And that we need to walk in it with our shepherd who cares, who knows, who keeps us because he died and he rose for us. If you have not had that relationship with Jesus before and this is the day you want to start it, I'd love to meet with you after service and pray with you and join you in that new journey. But for all of us who have been walking with him, I just go deeper because it's there. So we're going to do something new today to close out our service. Usually we pray through a prayer of benediction. I pray over you. Uh, but today we're going to pray through a prayer of benediction together. And it's going to be our shared agreement that Jesus is the good shepherd. So if you guys would stand, we're going to pray through Psalm 23 together. After we read through this, I'll pray for us and then dismiss you guys. Let's read together and pray through this together as an agreement. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. King Jesus, you are our shepherd. You are our gate, and you are infinitely more as well. We are a people who are agreeing that you need to be our shepherd, not because you're so good, but also because we need one. We need such a good shepherd as you. We've tried to do it on our own for too long. We really make crummy gods. We really make crummy shepherds of our own souls. We need you to come and shepherd us. And so we are a church that are inviting you to come deeper into our lives 
to shepherd the most intimate moments of our lives. May we not shut you out of them, of all the hurts and the pains, because we know you're already aware of them. We know you already know them, and yet you still love us, and yet we are still yours. So I pray, Jesus, that we corporately would walk very deeply with our shepherd. May this week be foundationally different than any other week before, as we've heard your word and seen this good shepherd in all of his beauty and goodness and strength and ability and nobility. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving us and shepherding us. And we all agree in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You guys, there's some refreshments out there. Feel free to hang around for a little bit. Mothers, have an awesome day today. We do have a gift for you moms. Uh, There's going to be some carnations out there with you. Make sure you pick one up. And maybe we have a gift. Uh, We might have enough to give to another mom, but get yours first and hold off until you get a gift for another mom. There's also a photo booth out there because, you know, you got to get those Mother's Day pics. So feel free to go grab those. Love you guys. Have an incredible week. Be blessed. Wherever your business needs to show up,